All right, well, let's turn on over to Luke chapter 16. We're going to get down to verse 14, and the title is Stewarding for the Future. This is probably one of the most difficult um, parables that Jesus gives to figure out when you first read it. Because when you first read it, you're like, did he just say he approves of dirty tactics in business? Um, and of course, Jesus is not saying that, so we got to look for what he is saying. But that's, that's kind of, this is one of those parables that we're just like, I don't get it. So hopefully tonight, um, you will see um, afresh what the Lord is wanting to communicate to us. As we move into chapter 16, let's keep in mind the context, right? The Lord goes after that which is lost. And in the story of the prodigal son, you have the older brother that is totally displeased with dad's decision to welcome him back. Um, and, you know, he says, listen, as soon as he returned, you welcomed him. I mean, you didn't make him do 50 spiritual push-ups or anything. You have no idea that he's really got his heart and life right. And you just welcomed him back in. And so this older brother is like the Pharisees who sees Jesus ministering to the sinners. And they're coming to him. They're continually coming to him. There's a stream, remember? And Jesus is welcoming them in. He's showing hospitality. Been waiting for you. Come on in. And they sit, sit back, sucking air through their teeth, and just discuss with him, how could he do this? How could he do this? He goes, well, let me tell you a couple of stories here. Let me tell you about losing something and finding something. And then in the last story, he talks about the lost lamb, right? He talks about the lost coin, and then he talks about the lost son. And in the story of the lost son, he adds that element of the elder brother who's just totally unhappy. There's our context moving into chapter 16. So it's helpful to have that in mind, that this is what he is talking about. So let's begin reading. In verses 1 through 7, we see the failed stewardship of this one servant he also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. Don't really mind stealing, but I have resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So that's his motivation. I want to be received by people when I'm out. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. So it kind of got in the next section a little bit. So verses 1 through 7, failed Stewardship In verses 1 and 2, he's rebuked by his employer. He's rebuked by his master. And Jesus has introduced to us 
um, a, a house, a, so a house of a rich man. And so he has this individual who is overseeing his house. He is the steward of his house. And he is watching things go out. He's watching things go in. Think of Joseph. We've been studying about Joseph, right? He was a steward in the house of Potiphar. And he was watching all things go in and out. And Potiphar said, well, Joseph said of Potiphar, he doesn't even know what, what he has. I mean, all he knows is that you're his wife and that I take care of everything. I am in complete control. So it's not unlikely that this guy had turned over everything to him to run it and to manage it. And yet he was not being faithful in his administration of the resources. Namely, he was wasting the resources. He was not being a faithful steward of what was being placed in his hand. So the master of the house learns of this and he says, Give an accounting to me of your stewardship. And if, you know, essentially, you've been, you've been robbing me. You're not going to be a steward in my house anymore. Stewardship is an important principle. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about the kingdom of God, the most important, or whether you're just talking about life in general. Nobody wants to have somebody who is unfaithful handling their stuff. We want people that are going to do a good job. And so, I mean, we spend a lot of time getting a recommendation. Who do you recommend? Who do you recommend? I like this guy. I like this woman. She does a good job. He does a good job. You can trust them. Because you're going to hire them to do something and, you know, you have resources and you want to make certain that you're not taken advantage of. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now we're going to come back to that at the end of our study. We'll read a few more verses. But that is the principle that's right here at the beginning. He should have been a faithful steward and he was not. So that kind of helps us get the setting. Of what's taking place. So in verses three through seven, he gets rebuked by the employer, verses one and two. In verses three through seven, he begins to act um, in a shrewd way. It's, it's, it's wise, but it's a dirty wise approach that he's taking. I mean, he's commended for it, as we read, but what he's doing is really not honorable at all. So he goes out and he's like, man, I'm in trouble. Because I don't want to dig a ditch, and um, I don't want, I've got too much pride to, to borrow, but I don't mind stealing, so that's what I'm going to go do right now. And he's going to continue to be even more unfaithful as a steward in the house of his master. So he goes to those that um, owe money. He says, how much do you owe? I owe 100 measures of oil. Tell you what, I'll make you a deal. You've always been one of my favorite customers. And I tell you, if you... If you'll write it for 50 right now, I'll take that. We'll say paid in full. And you won't have to pay another penny. You're kidding me. No, I'm not. I mean, I just, you've always been a good guy. You know, I like to take care of people who, you know, are, are good customers. So write it for 100. And so he writes it for 100. I mean, he writes it for 50. Same thing with the, um, you know, the wheat. He goes over there and he says, all right, give me, give me a. So anywhere from 20 to 50% discount. Why? Was he going to pocket the money? We don't really think that he's pocketing the money because that could land him in jail. But what he's doing, remember, is that, what is it, verse 5? Um, no, not verse 5. Um, uh, what should I do? Yeah, verse 4. Um, I have resolved what to do that when I am put out of the stewardship, 
they, the guy he gave a discount to, may receive me into their houses. So the guy who he gives a discount to is like, he likes him. I mean, this is his favorite business transaction he's had all year long, right? He, th- he loves this guy because he just gave him a, a huge discount. No coupon needed, right? Just, it's 50% off. It's 20% off. So he's going about to build good relationships. Of course, it's all under false pretenses, right? It's not honorable, but he's going out there making certain when things go bad in the future, I want to make certain that I have some people that will take care of me. I want to make certain I have some relationships with people in the future that they'll be thankful to me for what I did for them um, at this time. And so that's, that's his approach. Look at verse, verses 8 through 14. We already read verse 8, but let's, let's go back to it again. Verses 8 through 14. And here we're going to just learn about using uh, your resources for eternity. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. Not because he had dealt honestly, because he wasn't honest. I mean, this is just another step of unfaithfulness. But it's kind of like, you dirty little rascal. I know what you did, and you're taking care of yourself. And so he says, wow, all right, you dealt shrewdly. Um, In verse 9, it says, and I say to you, or actually verse 8, for the son's of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of the light. So now the application's coming. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. Not in an unrighteous way, just through money, right? Just money. Make friends for yourself by using money that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Okay, so now we just shifted out to eternity here, right? We're talking about our eternal abode. So he commends them for this. But what the Lord says is that the sons of this world, just people that don't are not part of the kingdom, they're not close to the, uh, the faith, they're more shrewd than the sons of light. Now I think this, this is a rebuke against the Pharisees, the religious guys again. They're, they're, not, they're not preparing very well for the future. And many of the rebukes have been against them. And I would venture to say this rebuke is going towards them as well. Now, Jesus is not endorsing dishonest business transactions. So if, you, if that's what you took from this, you took the wrong thing. We haven't really even got to the point of what we should um, take from this yet. He's just painted a scenario. He is, he's taking an example of how one in the world had a better sense of the need to prepare for the future and to use what influence and resources he had than the religious leaders were doing of their day. The world is known for making every effort to plan for the immediate future, right? They're they're planning for the payoff. They're looking for that day. Let's just take the example, and certainly not saying athletes are ungodly. Don't make that connection. But illustration time. Look at what athletes are willing to give up in order to obtain. And of course, we're just finishing up the Olympics here. And you look at the time that they give up to achieve, to be the best in the world at whatever they do. You know, shooting a rifle, um, you know, swimming a lap, running, whatever it is that they're doing. And they, they give up everything. They give up tens of thousands of hours of their life for just a little, little moment. 
And if you, if you look at it, if you measure it, it's like, wow, they, they gave up all of this and they had this woman. Now, listen, it's, it's impressive. I mean, it, you know, there were, it's worthy to be applauded. But what does it really pay off in the long run? And this is kind of what Jesus is saying, is, you know, there are those in the world that are willing to give up everything to get a little something, and yet there are those that are un- don't do that when it comes to the things of the kingdom. The athletes, they give up, again, thousands of hours of training to hopefully, I mean, for most of them, it's just to go. And then for a few of them, it's to get a medal. There's a physical cost to their body, to their time. There's an emotional cost they go through. There's a relational cost, and yet they do it to obtain that temporary crown. 1 Corinthians 9.25 says, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. So this guy, this shrewd servant, was doing it for just something that he could have down the road a little bit. It's the future. But what about us? What are we willing to do knowing the future that's ahead of us? Are we willing to make those same kind of moves, utilize um, the resources, and do whatever it takes to make certain that we're in a good standing when we appear before the Lord in our everlasting home? That is the point. So what is being commended is the total dedication um, to gain something, not the methods, Right? It's an exhortation to not let the world outdo the children of God for the kingdom of God and something that's going to last forever. Jesus is just, he's wondering, he's like, look at these Pharisees, man. They they aren't willing to put forth the effort that they should put forward in order to make certain that when when it comes eternity time, that they're ready. But this steward over here, he's to be commended more. Now, I mean, I'm sure they probably realize he was talking about them. And so they wouldn't have, we're going to see, they're going to, they're going to deride him at one point here in this chapter. But we should make wise use of money and all of our resources that are going to perish so that when we have used it wisely, it will bring eternal benefit. That's the idea. What is Troy doing? What are you doing with all the resources that have been placed in your hand? What are you doing? How are you leveraging them so that when you are in the presence of God, that there will be those, as it says, that will receive you into an everlasting home. Verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon through money, that when you fail, when things, you know, it comes to the end, you may receive they may receive you into an everlasting home. It's an interesting thought here, isn't it? We're going to come back to this again in a moment. Look at verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust uh, is, is unjust also in much. So he's, again, he's talking about faithfulness now. Just this idea of being faithful. 
And he's like, if you have a little bit and you're faithful with it, then you'll be faithful with a lot. But some people say, man, I'm waiting for my ship to come in. I'm waiting to get rich. I'm waiting for all this stuff to happen to me. And as soon as I get my hands on all this stuff, then I'm really going to become so faithful. No, you won't. If you have a hard time giving 10 bucks to the Lord, investing that in the kingdom of God, you think you're going to find it easy when it's time to give 10000 or 100000 You're not. And the reason we know you won't is because Jesus just said you won't. It's, it's how do you deal with what's in your hands right now? That will project how you're going to deal with what will be in your hands in the future. And so the exhortation is to be faithful when there's just a little bit in your hand. And the Lord is looking. Why would he place more in our hands um, with our, our time, our talents, our resources, our giftedness, if we're squandering them right now? If we have no sense of urgency to use those resources faithfully for what is for the here and now, but also for what is to come, why would we think that when we get more, that we're going to be faithful about it. So you can dream about being rich and using the resources wisely for the kingdom of God, but what's keeping you from doing it right now? I, what I have right now just won't have an impact. Mm. I think there's a few stories in the Bible of just taking a couple of loaves of bread and fish and handing them over to the Lord and watching him do a whole lot with it. I think there's also a story in the Bible about how Jesus stood back and watched everybody coming into the temple and putting all kinds of money into the treasury. And here comes this woman and she just, she just takes all that she has, just a couple of little pennies, and she drops them in. And Jesus said, did you see that? Did you see that? Well, that guy that just brought all that gold in? No, no, no. The silver? No. What? That lady right there. She gave all that she had. She gave more than all of them put together. So you see, the Lord has already taught us in the scripture that we should not measure things by the world's standards, right? And so be faithful. This is the exhortation. Be faithful whether you have a little bit or whether you have a lot. And don't wait for that day to come in where you're like, okay, now, now I'm really going to do it. So even as the unjust steward had a sense of urgency and planning for the future, so should we, do we? When's the last time you've been kind of gripped with like, a, oh no, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to have a day before my master and I have things that I need to make certain that I'm doing. Listen, I don't want you to be walking in fear and trembling, you know, that, you know, you're going to be um, just a, a complete failure. I'm just saying, just be motivated that you will have something to give to your master and your king when the time comes for you to be reviewed. And we all will be reviewed individually, one by one, at the Bema seat of Christ. He will look to see what we've done in these bodies whether it is precious and wonderful or whether it's just things that were wasteful and will, will go away. So specifically, let's talk about some of the things that we are to steward. Um, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 16, we see that we are to steward what? 
time. See then that you walk circumspectly. You're looking at all angles. You're, you're paying attention to everything around you. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Buy up the time. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You and I have the resource of time. And we are stewards. I think it's 1,440 minutes. Is that right? Anybody know? The day? I think that's what it is. I don't know. Maybe it's a week. I can't. I don't recall. Somebody do the math and tell me. It's a what? It's a day. 1,440 minutes a day. That's, it's yours. Boom. There it is. It's, it's in your hands. It's in my hands. And I am a steward of it. I'm a child of the Lord. You're a, you're a daughter of the King. And you have 1,440 minutes each day to use them so that when you get to heaven, there's going to be people that are going to welcome you in. first person we should be concerned about welcoming us in is our Father. We want to hear him say, Well done, my good and faithful steward, servant, enter in. But we, we have to make certain that we're, we're, we're taking care of this. I heard this illustration when I was in high school that if somebody was to write you a check every single day for $1,440, but you had to spend that money, you could not save it, you could not roll it into the you know, next day, but you had to spend that money each and every day and whatever you didn't spend was just lost. How would you begin? Some of you are like, give me a shot at that, give me a shot at that. Sorry, no shot at it. But just, it's a good way to think about you have this check of 1,440 minutes. What, how do you use those? Are you like this, you know, unjust steward who was going to leverage everything he could to make certain that he was ready for his failing, the time that he had to go out and look for help? Hopefully we are doing the same. The other thing that we steward, 1 Peter 4.10, says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. When you use your spiritual gift, you're using the grace of God. Every one of the gifts that we have been given, I don't care what gift it is, whatever gift it is that we've been given, that gift is a funnel by which the grace and the love of God flows through. Use that gifting. Use that as a faithful steward. How are you using the gifts that God has given you, the spiritual gifts? The gift of helps, the gift of mercy, you know, the gift of administrations. The gift of teaching. Whatever it is. Whatever the gift it is that the Lord has placed you. Are you being a good steward with it? Well, you know, what if it was a more significant gift? That's, again, wrong mentality. What can the Lord do with the simple gift of, um, of helps? Does anybody remember Dorcas in Scripture? And how she... What was, it? what was her great gift? What was the thing that she did? She had the gift of, of mercy or helps, but does anybody remember what she did? What'd she do? She sewed clothes for the poor. And when she passed away, 
When she died, the church said, oh, no, no. We're not going to lose her. Somebody get Peter and have him raise her from the dead. You know, and they, so they came in, and the Lord answered that prayer. They're like, we're not going to lose her. So you may look and say, ah, I don't have, you know, many gifts. I just, you know, I, don't know, I can sew or something like that. But do you have compassion? Do you have the, the gift of mercy that you feel for people that don't have what? I mean, then use it for the glory of God. Look at this. 2,000 years later, and we're talking about Dorcas, who made clothes. And we're being exhorted by her life. Look at what the Lord did for all these years, all the generations of the church that have heard about this faithful servant of the Lord. What is your gift? Go use it. Well, you know, I used my gift before and I got hurt by people. Yeah, that happens. If you, if, again, the, no surprise there, right? No surprise in Scripture that we could, we could find offense and be hurt by one another. Why do I say no surprise? Because the Bible tells us to, to be patient with one another. The Bible tells us to, to suffer long with one another. You don't say that about, you know, camp meetings, right? I mean, you don't, you don't say that about when everything's going right and beautiful and fun and exciting. You say that when there's conflict. Suffer long with one another. I mean, the Lord told us that these things were going to be like that. Again, we've referred to it a few times, but um, in Corinthians, why don't you rather suffer wrong? I mean, so we shouldn't be surprised that this can happen. And we have the New Testament, and we see the conflict that went on there. We see the disciples, right? And then how they argued, and they had fights with one another, um, and they had to work through them. So, what is the reason why you would not use the gifts that God has been given to you, that God has given to you? I don't have time. Oh, so you're not managing your time, so therefore you're not managing your gift. So it's kind of, those two get, they kind of get connected together a lot of times in our life, don't they? So we begin to make choice. What are you going to do with your 1,440 minutes? It's like, well, you know, there's things I've got to do. I am certain there are things you have got to do with work and with family and with just living this life. There are absolutely things that you have to do. But if your life is such that you have no time to steward those, a portion of those 1,440 minutes of the day and use your spiritual gifts, then I, I'm just going to tell you, you've got to go get that figured out. Because one day you're going to stand before Jesus. And your excuses may fly with me or with her or with him or with us. But you got to be prepared to look into the eyes of Jesus and give an explanation for why you did not steward your time and therefore steward the gift that was given to you so, you could pour the, so he could pour the grace of God through your life. We're going to answer to him. Not for our soul, right? That, that's taken care of. Jesus saved us. That is taken care of. But we are going to give an account as those that are saved for how we've lived our life. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 But we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. So we don't find the word steward here. But we see that we've been entrusted 
and I'll just say as stewards with the gospel. It's, it's been given to us, and so we ought to speak. And if you're, you know, you're not going to please men, right? You got, it's God who's going to test the heart. We need to be faithful stewards of our time. We need to be faithful stewards of the spiritual gifts that we've been given, our talents, our abilities. We need to be faithful stewards with the gospel. And so, again, bring us back to the, to the context of, and, and the parable. This unjust steward did everything he could to make certain that when he got down the road in the future, that he would be in a good standing. The idea that Jesus is wanting to say is the sons of light, people who are or people of faith, you need to have this sense of urgency of thinking and racking your brain of, I need to leverage my every minute, my every gift, um, and the gospel that I have, the interaction I have with people, and I need to be a faithful steward of that. The Lord wants us to be gripped with the sense of being shrewd, if you will, in these areas. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5, I told you we, we had come back to this passage, and I want to read a few more verses. And here we see that faithful steward is, stewardship is not an option. It is required. It is required. So let's read. Let a man consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Wow, think about that last phrase there. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now listen, these guys didn't have a lot of good things to say about Paul, did they? The Corinthians. They had... Uh, when he says, um, to me it's a small thing that I should be judged by you. Well, they were judging him left and right. And they were saying he was unfit, that he was not like Peter. He was not like Apollos. He really was not faithful. He probably had ulterior motives. And he says, listen, I, I, I don't care that you judge me that way. I'm not even judge myself. I have to stand before God. And I, I have to give an account to him. And he's going to come and he's going to look. And he's going to see the dark things. And he's going to find out what's in each person's heart. And then the Lord will give praise for our actions. I mean, we are very familiar with that idea of us giving praise to the Lord, right? Because he is God. Now, we're not getting praise from God because we are God. We're going to get praise from God because we have been faithful, and I know people often say, well, you know, I, I just think this is kind of carnal, you know, that we make such a big deal about, you know, standing before the Lord and getting rewards and stuff. Listen, you're going to want to hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You're going to want to hear the praise of your Savior saying, I love the way you lived your life. You know, you, you had 1,440 minutes you did a pretty good job with those. 
I'm thankful to you. Thank you for giving your life away. Thank you for serving. Thank you for using that spiritual gift. And that's what we want to hear from the Lord. It is required. This is what we read here, right? Verse 2. It is required. And we are servants. We're servants of the Lord. We're slaves of the Lord. You've been bought with a price. I've been bought with a price. I am not my own. I am King Jesus. And you're like, well, don't I get to do what I want to do? No, you don't. Both of us, all of us, gave that up when we became servants of the Lord. And we said, we want to follow you. And Jesus says, you want to follow me? Okay, are you ready to take up your cross and deny yourself? Absolutely, I'm ready to do that. Then all right, come on, follow me. And, and so we live our lives not for our own pleasure. We live it for the glory of God. And we need to understand these discipleship terms. So it is required. We are servants. It doesn't matter what other people say. It matters what the Lord says. Which, by the way, when we say other people, that means you too. You can justify yourself if you want, but that doesn't mean you're justified. With having wisely, now not spiritually, your spiritual salvation, but your, your, your use of these resources. And Jesus is coming to judge and offer praise. And let me tell you, I believe completely that the Lord is looking to offer the praise. I don't think he has any desire to return and find his church not being faithful. And have to, you know, speak to us. He wants to, I mean, every parent knows this. No parent wants to come home and find their kids fighting, right? You want to come home and you want, you want the house to be just the way it should be and for them to be getting along and, and taking care of each other. And, and that those are happy moments for parents when they come home. And this is what the Lord wants. He wants to be able to commend you. He wants to be able to commend you. I realize some of you maybe never heard a good word from your parents. Maybe you never heard your mom or your dad say, you know, good job, proud of you, you really worked hard, and here's your accomplishment, we're really proud. Maybe you've never heard that, but I can tell you what, you have the opportunity to hear the Father say to you, good job, good job. Come over, give me a high five, boom. I love the way you lived your life. I'm so pleased with it. You brought glory and honor to me. Let's keep on moving on. Verses 11 and 12, it says, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you of what is your own? So the consequences of unfaithfulness, right? I mean, if you are not faithful, nobody's going to trust you with anything. Paul told the Philippians that their use of unrighteous mammon was storing up for, them, uh, for themselves treasure in heaven. So, I mean, you can, there can be a blessing for what you've done or there could be a, re, a removing. Philippians 4, 15 and 17 says, Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. There's only one group of people that wanted to support missionary Paul. That was a good investment, don't you think? For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but here it is. Look at this line. But 
I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. You have an account and I have an account. My name on it in the presence of the Lord. And he is watching how we steward what is placed into our hands. And I pray that we'll be faithful at that. Steward now. Be faithful now. Verse 13, choose who you're going to serve. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So what is it? Who are you going to live for? What is it that you're living for right now? And this is the exhortation. We come to verse 14. It says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. Well, I mean, you could see why he gave this them, right? They, they just mocked him. And, and there should be within each of us a, uh, a warning about loving money, that you'd be a lover of money. What a terrible thing to be said. You love money. Because these money is, is not going to it's not going to love you back. It's not going to give you a, a good standing before the Lord, but why stewardship with it can? And this is the point that Jesus is making. When Jesus had finished this parable, these Pharisees who loved their money just began to lay into him. And um, they, they don't get it, they don't see it. You know, God gives warnings and rebukes to the nation of Israel for unfaithful stewardship, right? Malachi chapter 3, verses 8, and then verse 10, Will a man rob God? You say, wherein have we robbed God? God said, in your tithes and in your offerings. Prove me now, uh, hear what says the Lord, and see if I will not pour out unto you a blessing that you cannot contain. So the Lord rebukes them for withholding. Or in Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat and do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, build the temple, that it may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home... I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins. While every one of you runs to his own house, therefore the heavens above withhold dew, and the earth withholds its fruits. So this is, a, I mean, he, a couple of times we see the Lord rebuking them over the finances. And, and so we gotta, we got to pay attention to our time that we steward, we have to pay attention to the money that we steward. We have to pay attention to the gifts that we steward. And I would like to just say, be mindful of self-serving stewardship. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, I give to the Lord every time I go shopping because I want to dress my best for the Lord on Sunday morning. Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think you're giving to the Lord at all. Well, I just want to be honored and glorified in the way I look. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's not the way it works. Well, I give to the Lord by sending my kids to Christian school. No. 
You're taking care of your kids. And you should do exactly what the Lord has called you to do. Well, I give to the Lord by being all, buying all kinds of Christian music. No, that's not, that's not the way it works. All of these, you are receiving something directly back in benefit of. And we need to be honest with ourselves. And that was a rebuke with Haggai. You're taking care of your own homes. My house lies in ruins. That's why I'm making it so difficult for you to earn a living because you come and I'm blowing it away because you're not honoring me. So as we begin to wrap this up here, I want to just leave this story for a moment, but continue on this idea of being a faithful steward. So I have one, two, three, four. I have five points I want to make um, rather quickly here. So, and I, I mean, I could, I could spend more time on this, but I'm just going to, I'm going to give it to you quickly. So we talk, we use the word tithe, which means a tenth, right? To give a, a 10%. And in the Old Testament, as we just read, they were required to give 10%. Three different times. So there was three different tithes that the children of Israel made. One of the tithes for the poor of the land happened every third year. So in reality, a faithful Israelite was giving to the Lord. Anybody do the math yet? 23 and a third percent. And I bring this up because I don't believe that the New Testament teaches a tithe. But everybody who tends to really kind of find, well, hey, the Bible doesn't teach a tithe. The New Testament doesn't teach it. You're right, it doesn't teach it. What does it teach, though? It teaches about we should be a steward. So let's, let's look at the past, a couple of passages. I think all of these are going to come out of uh, Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, um, we learn the lesson of consistency. Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given orders to the church of Galatia, so you must also do. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So I don't want to come and take a big collection. You guys make certain that every week you're putting aside the gift that you said you want to send to uh, those in Israel that are suffering. So this was a, um, a collection that was being given for the poor. 2 Corinthians 9, 5-6. Here we see that we are to not only give consistently, but we are to give generously. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So no, the New Testament does not state that Christians must give a tithe. It rather teaches that we should be what? Generous. That's what should mark our life. And so I'm not going to step into your life and tell you whether you're being generous or not, and you don't have to step into my life. I have to answer that question before the Lord of whether or not I am being generous. And you seek the, the face of the Lord, and he will lead you, and he will guide you. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, right? So you go get before the Lord and determine in your heart what you should give, 
not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So our giving should be consistent. It should be generous. It should be willful. In other words, I should not feel compelled or manipulated by somebody to give. And it should be full of joyful worship as I do that. I should be excited to be able to invest in the work of the Lord. Nobody should give under compulsion. God wants those who give to give freely and joyfully. And that's the way you want to receive a gift too, isn't it? You want to receive a gift when somebody has done it willfully and joyfully. You know, you don't want somebody to come say, hey, here's your Christmas gift. Last year you gave me a gift, I didn't get you one. I really wouldn't have probably got you one this year either. But the fact that you gave me one last year, I kind of feel like I better give you one. So here's your Christmas gift. I hope you enjoy it. Do you want that gift? Do you want that present? I don't think you want that present. I think you're like, no, 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 please. Don't. I don't want that. I mean, you could never enjoy that gift. Every time you looked at that gift, you would remember that this was given out of a sense of grudging obligation. And it'll bring you no joy. It'll bring you no sense of happiness. And so, as you give to the Lord, all right, Lord, here you go. Here's your cut. I wish you didn't need it. I don't think that you really need it. I don't even know why I'm giving it to you. But here you are, Lord. Here's your cut. Enjoy. I was going to buy something with that, but it's yours. And I think the Lord's like, keep it. Because he doesn't need it. He does not need it. He allows us to get involved and store things up in our account. He allows us to be good stewards of what he has given to us. And we give back. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, we are to give in faith. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So giving is called grace. He's able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Does it sound like you're going to be out of what you need? <laughs> that I'm going to be out of what I need? The question is, can you outgive God? If God is a debtor to no man, and as you give, he says, I will give in return, what are we worried about? Now listen, you're like, wow, the money must be bad at Calvary Chapel Lynchburg right now. No, it's not, actually. This is not, I'm not aiming we're talking about stewardship and using unrighteous mammon for righteous things. So give in faith, believing that as you give, it's going to come back to you. And number five, give wisely. You know, don't give to those that are manipulating you. Don't give to those that have crazy agendas that are not biblical. You know, you know what the Bible says. Make certain that it's gospel-focused. Make certain that it's investing in the lives of, of the kingdom, uh, of the people of the kingdom of God. Make certain that it's being used wisely. So, stewardship. All that we have is from the Lord, isn't it? All that we have. And so we see in Scripture this principle of giving a portion back to the Lord of what we have. And what we need to understand is that we are not stewards of just whatever that generous amount is. If it's 10%, okay, 10%. If it's more, if it's whatever. Whatever that amount is, you're not just a steward, and I'm not just a steward of what I give to the Lord. You don't come in, pay off the Lord, and say, all right, honey, the rest is ours. <laughs> 
Now we get to figure out what we want to do. No, you don't. You're still a steward of those things. You still are required to seek the face of the Lord and use wisdom as you do this. And all that we have is from the Lord. I've used this illustration so many times. I'm going to use it again. So it was a hot you know, July day here in Lynchburg, and we had an old van, and um, the air conditioning was not working. Anybody relate to this? You know, just a, it's like a tube where you're just being cooked as you drive down the road, right? And so we're driving down the road, and, um, you know, I didn't, I don't remember why, but, you know, I didn't have my wallet, and, um, but my, you know, little whatever, six, seven, eight-year-old son had his Winnie the Pooh wallet. I don't know if it's Winnie the Pooh, but it makes the story sound good. So he had, he had this little Winnie the Pooh uh, wallet, and, um, um, you know, his, his grandparents had sent him some money, so he had a couple of ones in there, and I wanted to get a Pepsi at Taco Bell. But I didn't have any money, and I didn't have any coins, and I, you know, I just, whatever, I, did, I didn't have it. And I'm like, I go, hey, Tyler, give me a couple of, <laughs> I'm seven, eight years old. I go, hey, Tyler, give me, give me a couple of your ones. Uh, I'm going to get a Pepsi. He goes, no, they're mine. <laughs> I said, I know they're yours. I said, and I will give it to you as soon as we get home. He goes, no, you can't have it. They're mine. I'm like, listen, kid. I want those two bucks, okay? So I'm going to get those two bucks. I'm going to get the, I didn't get the Pepsi, I don't think. You know, it's like, who bought you your little Winnie the Pooh wallet anyways, all right? It was me, all right? Who's going to feed you tonight? Who's going to clothe you? Who's going to put you to bed? Who's going to try? Listen, it's all from me. But I couldn't get the two bucks off of him to get my Pepsi. I think we're kind of like that with the Lord sometimes, don't you? It's like, hey. I want to get a Pepsi for that guy. Nah, that's mine, Lord. You can't have it. I can't have it? No, you can't have it. It's mine. But I gave it to you. Yeah, but it's mine. And we just have this other world mentality rather than a mentality that I want to serve the Lord. So I wrap it up. Verse 9, I said, we come back to it. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. So we've talked all about the Lord receiving us into an everlasting home, but let's talk about they. Who are they? Verse 9. Who is the they that's going to receive us into an everlasting home? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. I think the people that are going to welcome us are going to be people who have been touched by our use of unrighteous mammon. Unrighteous mammon, what's that? Your money. Just your money. You used your money to send a missionary over. You used your money so... The church could have a place to gather and meet and buy a radio station and preach the gospel. You used your resources in these ways for works to be done. You, you know, the many different ways in which um, we, as a congregation, we reach out. But then just how you reach out and how you use just, you know, your filthy lucre. How we use this stuff called money and yet it takes on an eternal, beautiful purpose. 
And so I believe it, we're gonna, it would seem from what we're reading here, there's going to be people that are going to say, you touched my life. And I guess the Lord's just going to have like, I don't know, you know, charts or whatever that just can, you can like, you know, figure it all out. Somehow we're going to have this awareness. You touched my life. You were a faithful steward with your spiritual gift. And you taught me, you know, in the, you know, in the high school or you taught me as a, a child in, in there. Or you, you, you led in worship and you said this thing or you were a home fellowship leader or you greeted me at the door and, I was so, I thought, man, if one person gives me a sour face and you so welcomed me in and it just opened my heart to receive the message and the message came and it transformed my life. Thank you for being a, you know, a, a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord that you faithfully, do you see this? All these different ways and how the Lord is going to do this. Now, it's a beautiful thing when you see how the Lord uses your time, your resources, and your giftings for eternal purposes. It is such a joy. And um, there, this has happened, you know, on many occasions. But boy, there, there's, there's one occasion that just stands out in my mind so much. And that was when I was over in, um, in Russia. And I, I've been to Russia, I don't know, a lot, 15 times. Done a lot of ministry over there. Went over there in 1992, right after, you know, the doors opened up and we were preaching the gospel and we were everywhere preaching the gospel. I mean, we were in Red Square with our little, you know, uh, speaker and playing songs and doing, and just wide open. It's like, we saw people getting saved all over the place. I mean, and I'm telling you, it was, it was amazing to see how people were getting saved. Hundreds of people getting saved as we preach the gospel. And um, on that trip, I can remember my dad coming to me. And we, there's this place that's called Arbot Street. It's jam-packed with people. And we just we set up right there and just started blaring. And, um, you know, we, we did a, um, a skit. And we did some music. And I preached the gospel. And we were handing out Bibles. My dad says, you have got to come over here um, and meet these ladies. And, and came over there. And there's these... Um, you know, it's either two or three grandmas, and they were they were holding the Bible like this, and um, and they were just weeping, and they were so thankful to get a Bible, and and just just like I can't believe it, and you know, these grandmas are kissing me and thanking me, and just thank you for bringing this here. I think I think that's what we're going to see when we get to heaven. We're going to see these people who. We've, we've touched their lives by using the resources that we have. Another one was, I can remember this day, we were walking, same trip. We're walking from one place to another, trying to catch the bus because we got to get on the bus to get to this place, this next event, and, you know, on time. And so we're going through, and I got these, you know, uh, I forget, it was like probably about 40 or 50 high school kids, and they are just, they're just sharing the gospel with everybody. I can hardly get them from one place to another because they're just, everybody is hearing. So we all get on the bus and we're missing three people. So I go back through the park and looking for them. I find them and they're talking to somebody. I say, hey, you've got to come. And they're like, they just prayed to receive the Lord. I'm like, great, here's where we're going to be. This is the location. And um, I didn't see them again for 10 years. 
10 years later, I was at a conference teaching and they came and said, hey, I just want to, and I'm not the one that led them to the Lord. They go, we want to say thank you. It's two sisters. We want to say thank you for bringing that team over in 1992. She goes, do you remember when you had to come back and find some girls in a park that were talking to three people on the bench? I'm like, I do remember that. She goes, that was us. I'm married to a pastor. She's married to a pastor. And our brother, who was also there and got saved that, that day, he's a worship leader. Thank you for bringing that team over there. And just, and now listen, you know, so it's like, how many of those things have gone on in our life that we don't know about? And, you know, it's hard sometimes if we don't see things happening, we don't see, you know, the fruit right in front of us. We're like, ah, man, I don't know if it's really worth the effort or the time or whatever. Listen, be faithful steward of what God puts in your hand. And one day when you get to heaven, having been a faithful steward with time, money, and gifts, people are going to say, you, I've been waiting for this moment to be able to thank you for the way in which you worked. Listen, if that doesn't motivate you to go be faithful with your time, money, and your gifts, I don't know what will. So be faithful. I need to be faithful. I need to redeem those 1,440 minutes every day of my life. You do it too. And let's just let's push to the end. Let's be urgent about it, knowing that we've got to prepare for the future. Father, thank you for those that use faithfully their resources in our life. Our parents, pastors, evangelists, generations of people years ago that we've never met, but they were faithfully laying the work that we get to walk in today. And so, Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you that you work and move um, through us. Uh, Lord, we know that you could do a much better job if it wasn't if we weren't involved, but you've, you've included us. You've, you've made us a part. You've baked us into the process of the work of the kingdom. And so, Lord, I pray that for whatever reasons we may have for not being faithful or not being all in, may we just understand that we've got to stand before you one day. And we want to hear praise from you for the way that we've lived our life.